by looking at the transfiguration of Jesus Christ on the first Sunday in the month of September. Nevertheless, as for today, we will be looking at Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 30, where the Apostle Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ, which really is, church, a climax of sorts to all that we have read thus far in the Gospel of Mark. And it comes right on the heels, as we saw last week, of Jesus Christ healing a blind man. Whereas Jesus Christ, after leaving that of the Pharisees and setting sail across the Sea of Galilee to a place called Bethsaida, Jesus Christ once again had a group of people bring their sick to him. This time, verse 22, it being a man who was blind. To which Jesus Christ, he takes this aforementioned blind man by the hand and compassionately then leads him out of the village. Only to then, as we see in verse 23, to spit on this blind man's eyes and to place his hands onto him. To which Jesus Christ then says to the blind man in verse 23, do you see anything? Only to then have the blind man here respond back to him by saying in verse 24 that I see people, but that they look like trees walking, indicating that the healing of this blind man's sight was not complete at this time. To which Jesus Christ then, he lays his hands back onto this man's eyes a second time here, church, and this time when the man opens back up his eyes, his sight was restored and he was now able to see clearly and with perfect twenty-twenty vision. However, as we also touched on last week, church, Jesus Christ, he healed this blind man gradually here, not because he didn't have the power to do it all at once, nor because he didn't have the authority to do it all at once, nor even because he didn't have the capability to do it all at once, but instead, Jesus Christ, he gradually healed this blind man here in order to offer a parable of sorts or an object lesson of sorts in order to display how his own disciples would also gradually come to faith in him. Or to put it another way, gradually go from a non-understanding of Jesus Christ to a misunderstanding of Jesus Christ to that of a complete understanding of Jesus Christ, which is something that we will see played out, church, really throughout the rest of this gospel, including that of today. Which takes us now to our thesis statement this morning, Or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. To deny that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of the living God is to get Jesus Christ wrong and thus to get the gospel of Jesus Christ wrong as well. To deny that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, is to get Jesus Christ wrong and thus to get the gospel of Jesus Christ wrong as well. Therefore, at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 30. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not own a Bible, then fear not, my friend, because we've got a Bible here today with your name on it. And what I mean by that is if you don't have 
or do not own a Bible at this time, then please feel free to grab and even to keep one of our church Bibles, which are all located in the chairs in front of you this morning. However, the only thing we do ask, if indeed you do take and keep one of our church Bibles, is that you read it, starting today, right here, right now, by turning that brand new Bible of yours to page 844, and by joining us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we'll be in Mark chapter 8 this morning, church, looking specifically at verses 27 through 30, where John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, let those weighty words, let us dwell on them this morning. That your Son, Jesus, is the Christ, the Messiah the anointed one, the holy one of God. Father, I pray that that is who we see Jesus Christ as this morning as well. Nothing less than that, but that we see him as the Christ and as the son of the living God who takes away the sins of this world. Father, there are so many people out there today who say they are Christians who say that they believe in some guy named Jesus, and yet he is not the Jesus of the Bible. He is a Jesus that they have made up in their own minds that they are worshiping. Father, if that is any of us here today, open our eyes to this text, Lord. Open our ears and soften our hearts, and let us see this morning Jesus as he truly is. Father, I pray that you help me this morning as well. My lisping and stammering tongue, Father, I pray that you help me this morning to rely solely on you and on your word. So that the words that come from my lips, the words that come from this dear congregation's lips this morning as they sing and they pray and sing spiritual songs. Lord, that this, on this Lord's Day, that all that we have to offer, that is a fragrant and beautiful offering to you, Lord. Do this work today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one. To believe that Jesus Christ is only a great teacher or only a moral exemplar or only one of the great prophets is to get Jesus Christ wrong and ultimately to get the gospel of Jesus Christ wrong as well. 
to believe that Jesus Christ is only a great teacher or only a moral exemplar or only one of the great prophets is to get Jesus Christ wrong and ultimately to get the gospel of Jesus Christ wrong as well. Verses 27 and 28, which read, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. So if you can remember back to last week, church, Jesus Christ, after healing the aforementioned blind man in Bethsaida, he then said to him in verse 26, to not even enter the village. Likely because Jesus Christ at this time did not want to attract a ton of publicity in Bethsaida, but instead just wanted to be able to leave that of Bethsaida and quietly move on. Which, as we see here today, Jesus and his disciples most certainly did as they headed out of Bethsaida and went, as we see in verse 27, to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, which was, church, approximately 25 miles north of Bethsaida, or about a day's worth of walking. And as we go on to see in verse 27, that while Jesus and his disciples were walking toward Caesarea Philippi, Jesus Christ asked his disciples in verse 27, for who do people say that I am? Which in all honesty, church, was a question that Jesus' own disciples had been wrestling with and pondering and trying to figure out themselves for a long time for who exactly is this man named Jesus. I mean, it was all the way back in Mark chapter 4, church, when in the midst of a great storm, Jesus Christ rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still, and like that the wind ceased and there was a great calm, which caused Jesus' disciples then to not only be filled with great fear, but to also then be left wondering for who exactly is this man that even the wind and the sea obey him. Nevertheless, as for the specific question that Jesus asked his disciples here in verse 27, that being, for who do others say that I am? Jesus' disciples, they answer him in verse 28 by saying to him, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets, which against church should not sound some, or should not be unfamiliar to you since that same kind of speculation we have already read about in Mark chapter 6, where some people thought, including that of King Herod, that Jesus was actually John the Baptist, who had been raised from the dead or who had been brought back to life after King Herod had him beheaded. Whereas other people thought that Jesus was actually the prophet Elijah, who God would send, according to Malachi 4, 5, before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And finally, where still others thought that Jesus, verse 28, was one of the prophets, or maybe even a prophet like that of Moses himself, who had been foretold about in Deuteronomy chapter 18, all of which being, church, very high speculation and praise as to who exactly this man named Jesus truly was. So much so, as one commentator points out, that Jesus here 
was actually being put into the same class with Israel's greatest prophets of all time. And yet, despite how lofty and how exalted and how ambitious and grandiose and high-minded all of those sentiments about Jesus truly were, none of them, church, go anywhere near far enough in terms of getting this man named Jesus correct. And I say that because to only believe that Jesus was a prophet, or to only believe that Jesus was a wise teacher, or to only believe that Jesus was a gifted healer, a miracle worker, moral example, social liberator or political upriser was and is church to get this man named Jesus inherently, intrinsically, innately, and fundamentally wrong, which is the same problem, church, that takes place oh so often today in that the Jesus who people say they believe in and trust and love and follow and confess is a counterfeit church who they have created in their own minds or that the culture has created for them and is not the Jesus of the Bible. For Pastor Kevin DeYoung, back in 2014, he wrote this concerning how some people today actually view Jesus. For there's Republican Jesus, who is against tax increases, but is for owning firearms. There's Democrat Jesus, who is against Wall Street, but who is for reducing our carbon footprint. There's Therapist Jesus, who helps us cope with our problems and tells us how valuable we are. There's Starbucks Jesus, who drinks fair trade coffee only and who loves spiritual conversations. There's Open-Minded Jesus, who loves everyone no matter what, except for people who are not as open-minded as him. There's Touchdown Jesus, who helps Christian athletes run faster and jump higher than non-Christian athletes. There's Hippie Jesus, who teaches us to imagine a world without religion and that all we need is love. Yuppie Jesus, who encourages us to reach our full potential and to even buy a boat. Guru Jesus, who believes in us and who will help us find our center. Boyfriend Jesus, who wraps his arms around us and as we sing about his intoxicating love. And of course, there's good example Jesus, who shows us how to help people change the planet and become a better person. And then there's Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God who is not some reflection of the current mood of the world or a projection of our own desires, but instead he is Lord and God. He is the Father's Son, the Savior of the world, and the substitute for our sins. And he's more loving and more holy and more wonderful and more terrifying than we could ever imagine. And thus, although there have been plenty of prophets, church, who have come into this world, and plenty of wise teachers, church, who have come into this world, and plenty of morally-minded people, church, and socially-minded people, church, and highly devout people, church, and ridiculously gifted people, church, who have come into this world as well. There is only one person, church, who has come into this world who can save you from your sins, cleanse you of your sins, forgive you of your sins, clothe you in his perfect righteousness and life, and reconcile 
reconcile you back to God forever, and his name is Jesus Christ. And thus to ascribe then, church, a name to Jesus Christ other than the name that is above all names, other than the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the resurrection and the life, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the only Savior of the world is to deny then who Jesus Christ is, what he has done, and to get Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, wrong. And thus be sure then of this, brother Christian, sister Christian, that the Jesus who you are worshiping this morning is not some counterfeit Jesus, as in only good example Jesus, wise teacher Jesus, open and affirming Jesus, Democrat or Republican Jesus, or genie in a bottle, give me everything I ask for Jesus, but that instead the Jesus who you are worshiping this morning, church, is the Christ, the Messiah, and the Son of the living God, since the only Jesus who saves, church, is the one who is Lord over all, and to God himself raised from the dead, and not any of these other counterfeits. Which brings us to point number two. Christian, to get Jesus right is to confess that he is the Christ and the Son of the living God. Point number two, Christian, to get Jesus right is to confess that he is the Christ and the Son of the living God. Verses 29 and 30. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. So after Jesus Christ asked in verse 27, for who do people say that I am? Jesus then asked his disciples in verse 29, for who do you say that I am? or as Mark Strauss describes it, for in light of what these other people say about me, for who do you, my disciples then, my most intimate and personal and trusted friends who at this point in my ministry have seen me feed the 5,000, walk on water, calm the storm, cast out demons, heal the sick, give sight to the blind, give hearing to the deaf, give voice to the mute, and even raise Jairus' daughter from the dead, for who do you, my disciples say, think, and believe that I, Jesus, truly am. To which, as we then see in verse 29, church, Simon Peter, the fisherman, who we first met back in Mark chapter 1, and whose first-hand accounts and testimonies about Jesus Christ are what John Mark is using in order to write this gospel He then responds back to Jesus Christ here in verse 29 by saying to him, speaking on behalf of all the disciples here, that you, Jesus, are the Christ. That you, Jesus, are the Christ. Christ as in the anointed one from God, church. The promised one from the line of David who would establish a kingdom that would endure forever, sit on a throne that would last forever, and reign over a redeemed people forever and ever. Second Samuel chapter 7. Or as Matthew puts it in his gospel, the apostle Peter here says to Jesus that you are the Christ and the Son of the living God. And yet... 
As we go on to see in verse 30, despite Peter's proper declaration of the true identity of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ here, he still strictly charges Peter and the rest of his disciples in verse 30 to tell no one about him. Which leads to the question then, why? For why does Jesus Christ here not want his disciples at this time to go out and to proclaim to the world that he is indeed the Christ, the Messiah, and the Son of the living God? And the answer to that question, as James Edwards explains it, is because although Simon Peter here has given the proper title of Jesus, that being the Christ, He still at this time does not have a complete understanding as to what exactly that means. And that although his vision here, to use the imagery from the healing of the blind man back in verses 22 through 26, has improved, it is still blurry. Since Jesus as the Messiah will don the servant's towel instead of the warrior's sword and will practice sacrifice instead of vengeance, and will not inflict suffering onto others, but instead will suffer himself as a ransom for many. And thus Jesus Christ, he strictly charges his disciples here in verse 30 to tell no one about him, likely because he did not want them to misrepresent him or to confuse others about him, since they themselves at this time simply did not understand what Jesus Christ came into this world to do, which was not, church, to liberate a people politically, nor to lead a people nationally, nor even to overthrow an empire militarily but instead it was to save a people spiritually by suffering church, by dying church, and by three days later being raised from the dead church in order to conquer sin, destroy death, and to defeat the works of the devil, which was quite frankly church, a concept that at this time Jesus' disciples simply did not understand. And thus as we begin to close this morning, I want to do so by beginning with the non-Christian who was here first. And to ask you point blank this morning, non-Christian, for who do you say at this time that Jesus truly is? For do you still say and think and believe that Jesus is only some wise teacher or only some moral exemplar, or only some social reformer who you could see yourself following maybe if He loved you no matter what and just let you do whatever you wanted? Because if that is your view or your current understanding of who this man named Jesus truly is, then lovingly non-Christian, your view of Jesus is defective and it is not proper and it's faulty and flawed, messed up and not right. And that figment of your imagination, non-Christian, that you call Jesus, he will not save you from your sins. And I say that because the only Jesus who truly saves non-Christian is Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God who came into this world, non-Christian, as truly God and as truly man to live and to dwell amongst us and to 
save us from our sins. And T. Jesus Christ accomplished that for us, non-Christian, by initially living for us the life that we could never live. And that although Jesus Christ was tempted by sin, just like you and I, non-Christian, Jesus Christ, he never, ever sinned, but instead lived a holy and sinless and righteous life here on earth, and in doing so, fulfilled the law of God in its entirety, perfectly and completely non-Christian, all for the very children of God. However, living a perfect life here on earth, non-Christian, that in and of itself was not enough to save sinners from their sins. Since without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Hebrews chapter 9. And thus a sacrifice for the sins of many still needed to be made non-Christian. Or a price for the sins of many still needed to be paid. So in complete and perfect obedience to his Father God, Jesus Christ then, he willingly, non-Christian, became that sacrifice by laying down his life on a cross at Calvary and by dying a sinner's death in our place and as our very substitute, even though he himself never sinned. And it was by these wounds, non-Christian, that the children of God were eternally healed. And I say that because because God the Father then, he accepted this perfect and sinless and spotless sacrifice of Jesus Christ on that cross at Calvary on behalf of his sinful children. And thus, three days later then, this sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, he didn't remain dead or buried in some grave, but instead he rose from the grave and displayed to the world that he had defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all, and that he now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. Let today be the day that you repent of your sin and place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin, and can clothe you then in his perfect life, in his righteousness and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And today will be the day, I promise you, that you will be forgiven of your sins, non-Christian, and given the gift of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here today, Brother Christian, Sister Christian, for as we close this morning, I'd like to do so by exhorting you all at this time, as the very children of God, who know and who think and who believe that Jesus is indeed the Christ and the Son of the living God, to be willing then to confess that truth and acknowledge that truth, and to declare and disclose and confirm and to boldly share that truth, even when the world around you, Christian, might be hostile toward that truth. For to paraphrase the late D.L. Moody here, for you may see a dead fish floating down the stream, but you will never see a dead fish swimming up against the stream which is similar, church, to those with and without a true confession of faith. 
For some people might say that they are Christians, all while being dead spiritually, and ever so content to just float along downstream, and to follow the confessions and the ways of the world. Whereas the true Christian church, they will never be content to just float along with the ways of the world. But instead, as those who are now alive in Jesus Christ, they will be willing to confess that of Jesus Christ and to swim against the ways of the world, no matter how strong the currents against them might be. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist, church, in order to figure out that right now Christianity in America is under attack. For as one poll recently noted that in 1999, 70% of All Americans belong to a church, whereas in 2020, that number had dropped to 47%. Similarly, in 2011, 75% of all Americans identified themselves as Christians, whereas in 2021, that number had dropped as well to 63%. And not only that, church, but it's also now not uncommon to go online And to find people saying things like Christianity is evil, or that Christian fundamentalists are evil, or that the Christian Puritans were evil, and that we need to stop the spread of Christianity. And thus, in light of all that, church, what then should we as Christians at this particular time and in this particular place do? For do we play the role of the dead fish here and just go with the flow of our society Do we just say whatever we need to say in order to not get picked on and canceled and called out? For do we even deny who we know that Jesus Christ truly is simply to not offend or annoy or anger this world around us? Or do we instead, church, when this depraved world pins us into a corner and calls us to give a defense and demands us, no ifs, ands, or buts about it, to say who we think that Jesus Christ truly is, do we then, church, declare to this world and confess to this world and unapologetically proclaim to this world that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? And you know the answer to that question, church. Because for you to play the role of the dead fish here, as John Henry Byrne writes, is not only to insult your God, but it is also to hinder this lost world in hearing about their Redeemer. And thus, just very practically speaking here, church, simply because the world around us today loves the darkness and hates the light and is celebrating the mutilation of children and the killing of the unborn and is trying to redefine what everything in this world should look like. For that does not mean then, Christian, that you now have been given the opportunity then, Christian, to merely follow the ways of the world then, Christian, or to deny Jesus Christ before others then, Christian, or to water Jesus Christ down before others then, Christian, or to just keep your faith to yourself then, Christian, because whether you realize it or not, Christian, we are tools in the hands of a holy God who have been called by God to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ so that people then can be reconciled back to their holy God. And thus, because of that, when those religious conversations do come up, church, and when the name of Jesus Christ does come up with your friends, your family members, loved ones, co-workers, or whoever, be sure 
sure not to give to them, church, watered-down Jesus, or yuppie Jesus, or self-guru Jesus, prosperity Jesus, genie-in-a-bottle Jesus, or only wants you to be happy Jesus. But instead, make sure you give them, church, Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I say that because your confession to them, church, about who this Jesus Christ truly is might be the only confession about Jesus Christ that some of them will ever get to hear. And thus, when someone asks you, Christian, and questions you, Christian, and wants to know who you say that Jesus Christ is Christian, be bold, swim against the stream, and unapologetically confess to them, Christian, that you believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of the living God, since that is the confession, church, that will be true of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, now and forevermore. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body do not get caught up into believing the lies that Jesus Christ was just some good man or just some wise man or just some gifted man or just some miracle-working man, but that instead our understanding of who Jesus Christ truly is is based solely and will never veer from that of the infallible and the inerrant Word of God. And additionally, when we do indeed, Father, have the opportunity to confess to this world who Jesus Christ truly is, let us then, Father, not water down our confession or turn away from giving our confession or even try to hide our confession, but instead, as the children of God, let us be bold, Father, in making our confession and unapologetically declaring to this world exactly who we know that Jesus truly is, that being the Christ, the Messiah, and the Son of the living God, and absolutely not church less than that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, give us boldness. Give us courage. Strengthen us in the faith, Lord. You have given us eyes to see, ears to hear, and you have untangled our tongues to the point that we can confess Jesus is Lord, and that we believe in our hearts now that God raised him from the dead. It is a confession, church, that this world is doing their best to cloud and to cover up. That's as the children of God who have been saved by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ himself, when given the opportunity to confess who we know Jesus Christ truly is. Let us not be timid. Let us not give them a counterfeit Jesus. Let us not them give them a Jesus that meets their own desires and sins and temptation, but let us give them the Jesus who saves, who saves sinners from their sins. Father, it is a work that only you can do in us. Thus strengthen us and work through us, Father, as we be faithful and bold and courageous ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your Son, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. As we prepare our hearts
to take of the Lord's Supper. We just want to remind ourselves of, of the reason why we here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church do this every Sunday, and it's just to remind ourselves of, of the life and death and, and the resurrection of Jesus and, and what all that means for us as believers. That That is only through this that we are able to stand before the Lord. It's only through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection that we are able to rejoice in trials. It's only through that that we're able to come before him and ask and seek the forgiveness of, of sins because it's through his life, it's through his death, and it's through his resurrection that all that is accomplished. And so that's what we remember this morning as we partake in the communion of, of Christ going to the cross on our behalf, taking the beating, taking the punishment, and hanging there all for us in the forgiveness of our sins. And so we here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church, we, we practice what we call open communion. All that means is, is that we are not, if you are just, we ask that if you are a follower of Christ, if you are a member of Christ's universal church, then you are more than welcome to partake in 